here on a, another rainy Sunday morning <laughs> <laughs> in uh, Portland, Oregon, here at the Blazers practice facility with, with the new head coach of the Portland Trailblazers, Chauncey Billups. Chauncey, uh, how are you? Are you are you getting used to, are you starting to mentally prepare for like, like it may not, the sun may not shine every day here, like <laughs> your, your retirement years in Denver, in Ooh. LA, it looks a little different. It looks a little bit different, Woes, but I am. I'm, I'm prepared for it. You see, I got white walls in, in my office. I got white walls in my house. Uh, the two places I'll be the most. So I'll be just fine, man, but I'm, I'm definitely prepared for that. You know, it's funny you talk about the walls in here, and I've seen in different practice facilities, and Quinn Snyder showed me in Utah, like down in the film room, where they kind of built it out with like big windows. Like those were like dungeons. Yeah, for guys, and you spend so much time in here. And if you don't, like I said, there's not light. There is, I think, coaches and organizations are trying to. It's it's easy to get depressed, right? And to just be, because you just stare at these walls, and you're yeah. right. You got, you know, at least some. You got some white. You know, you have no white. Can't see outside though from here. But you can't see outside. And as you can see, I, I, I've been so busy that I hadn't even decorated my office yet. However, I'll get some some inspirational pictures, and I'll I'll, I'll get me a Denver Broncos helmet up here on this shelf right here. I'll I'll I'll, I'll make it fancy. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You and I had a lot of conversations through time, Chauncey, about what would be the route you took, and and you looked at front office early on. Mm-hmm. Came pretty close in Cleveland. Yeah, there was kind of like a weird stretch of a few days where you were actually within the front office going to meetings and being around right to decide yeah i'm not sure i've ever heard of a situation like that but it kind of gave you a, a little bit of a window right of am i ready to do this do i want to do this is it front office is it coaching but it was a process to get here for you it was it was a process and it was a lengthy process um and i did all the i did all the recon that i could um you know, I, I've got some really good friends in the business that allowed me to come and really spend time, you know, and get to see what that, that picture would actually look like uh, with me in the front office. And I enjoyed it. I did. I enjoyed every second of it. And, you know, I learned so much from it, Woj, you know, and it, it was cool. It was cool. And it was it was an awesome route to potentially take, you know. Uh, but obviously, you, you're interviewing me here as a head coach, so – this is the route that I chose, uh, and I'm I'm extremely happy that I did so. In your mind, where was the change in, or maybe the kind of the evolution in your thinking? Yeah. About which one appealed to you more, or yeah. maybe which one I thought I might be better at, or I yeah. could be more impactful, or how you got to coaching yeah. versus front office. Yeah. So so through my deep dive, you know, um, in the front office stuff. The one thing that I found um, was that as a GM, as a president, whatever coach you hired or whatever coach that was there, it was really going to be on that coach to really dive in and pour into these players every single day, you know, lead these guys every single day. Not only basketball stuff, but real life stuff too. Um, It was kind of their responsibility to do so. And – well, I've always just kind of felt like that was probably my best gift, you know, um, as a player, you know, that was my leadership style. You know, I'm, 
even with the young guys or with the veterans, whoever it was, like my leadership style was every single day, um, just kind of chip away at it, pour into dudes every single day, talk to them about what we need to do every single day. And at the end of the day, man, I just felt like if that truly is my best gift, had I taken an opportunity in the front office, GM, president, whatever, assistant, whatever opportunity I had, well, I'm taking away my my best gift. Um, and so, boom, you turn the wheels a little bit, and now with coaching, that's what you do every single day. Um, and so that was the turning moment for me when I kind of realized that I, I can't really I can't really pour into these guys every single day like I would like to from from that seat. You could have gone, Chauncey, right from your playing career, television. I think you would have gotten a head job, a head coaching job, if you had not gone to be an assistant mm-hmm. with the Clippers last year. You haven't faced you know, virtually really anything of what you're going to face in this seat as a head coach. It's still a preseason. It's still training camp. But what's your sense now of what you thought you would have been prepared to do before you went to the Clippers last mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. and worked with Ty Lu, versus having experienced that year and now start out in this seat and go, okay, that year really helped me. Incredible. Incredible. Um, so much so that, you know, that summer before I got the Clippers assistant coaching gig, I interviewed for the Pacers gig, um, you know, with Kevin Pritchard and with, with, with Chad Buchanan. And I thought it was good. I, I really prepared myself for that interview. I don't know if I did good or not, but I, I, I felt like I left there like, man, you know, what I prepared myself for, I was able to get it out. And obviously, you know, I didn't get that job. Boom, ended up taking the Clippers. Halfway through the season with the Clippers, as I start to learn in all these things and, you know, from an assistant coach's perspective, but also watching Ty and what he had to do every single day and the people that he had to talk to every day and, you know, just seeing some of those responsibilities. I mean, I reached out to to to, to Kevin Pritchard and Chad and, and told them once again, thank you, you know, for, for the opportunity for the interview. But I also thanked them for not giving me that job because, man, 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 I had no idea. I had no idea um, how difficult it would be all the things you need to be prepared for. Um, and obviously you hire yourself a great staff and they can kind of catch you up and help you, but you're still the head coach, you know. And so this, the past year with the Clippers, uh, I'm so grateful for that opportunity cause, because it did prepare me for this year. And even with that one year, Woj, there's going to be so much that I find out and learn this year I already have during training camp that I'm just like, man, Wow, I didn't know that, you know. Um, so that that one year helped me out a ton, but still, man, it's so it's still so much to learn. The, the relationship you had over a long period of time with Ty Lu, who I think most people, you look at his time in Cleveland, and then last year, the way he was able to help that Clipper team get to a conference final for the first time and overcome a lot of stuff to get there. You knew him as well as anybody. But what was it like being on the bench with him, being in the meetings every day, being with the team? Was there a side of him or what his 
what separates him from a lot of people that you learn day in and day out that maybe even you didn't know given your long history with him? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously my history and relationship with him goes back to teens, you know. Um, we were really, really young. But it's totally different there now coaching with him, right? And the one thing I think that separates him as I kind of watched him all year, sat, watched him, studied stuff with him, um, is he's able to see and identify something out there so quickly and then in turn adjust just as fast as to what a team might be doing. I just never seen nothing like it. I just never seen nothing like it. And it's a gift, man. It really is a gift that he has. You got to have some foresight sometime. Um, but I think a lot of that comes from, you know, he studied under Doc and he, he you know, he was kind of Doc's youngin. Did the defense under Doc with Doc before. Also was doing offense. I mean, he, he, he's, he has both sides of the ball, you know, down to a T. And so that allows him to be able to do that, you know, to be able to, you know, change lanes really quickly um, before, you know, so some coaches, you know, will make those adjustments in timeouts, halftime. Obviously, after the game, you know, you watch the film and like, dang, I should have, you know. Well, he's doing that before a timeout comes and doing it at the free throw situation. Or, boom, we taking the ball out. He's telling the guy, you know, he, he's, I mean, he's a wizard, man. He, he's a wizard. And his mind just thinks like that. You know, he's, he's at home. And he's watching this stuff until three and four in the morning and, and trying to figure it out. And he's shooting me texts at three and four in the morning saying, I got it. This is what we got to do. I'm saying it when I wake up at six, like <laughs> <laughs> this dude, man. But but he's just gifted, man. He's really gifted, but he works at it. The, the praise I heard for Ty was that when it comes to how he deals with players is he can hit you and not leave a bruise. Mm-hmm. Does that describe mm -hmm. it with him? That's fair. That's fair. Um, he, Ty Lue is Ty Lue 100% of the time. And that's what you got to love about him. You know, he's, he can be honest um, with guys and, 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 and finesse situations uh, with guys that sometimes you got to say some tough things, you know. Um, and they don't take it personal, you know. Um, He's the very first guy to step up and take accountability when he messes up. You know, one of our first games was on the road, and it, it was a late play in the game, and he felt he should have did something different. We got on the plane afterwards to leave, and as soon as we get in the air and you hear that bell where you can take your seatbelt out, he was up in the front talking to the players saying, dang, my, I, I messed that up. That's my bad, man. That's my bad. That's my bad. So. Like I thought that was you know I'm like wow that was that was that was pretty cool you know when the pandemic started Ty moved in with you and your wife yeah for three months and a lot of there was nothing to do I mean a lot of mm -hmm. watching film a lot of learning his playbook so by the time you got to the Clippers as an assistant you were pretty immersed in it did that window of time with him when you were living together <laughs> he's moved in with you guys how much did it impact your desire to really start chasing coaching it changed everything it changed everything like there was there was probably a year and a half before that where i started to think about the coaching thing um because when i started thinking front office thing i i, I had no desire at all i didn't i went all in front office 
to take a deep dive, no coaching at all. When it changed, I then started to, well, you and I were working together, um, I would start to ask ESPN, can I start calling games? Let me try that. Um, because I wanted to just start seeing the game a little differently than just being in a halftime show, pregame show, sports center hit. I wanted to see the game differently. That was when my thoughts changed and maybe let me check this coaching thing out. So now, boom, the pandemic hits, Ty moves in, and we're together every single day. And man, we're studying, we're watching games, we're studying games, we're studying some of his philosophies, some of his offense, defense stuff. I got like a half court at my house, so we're getting out there on the court, walking through things. He's showing me different little, you know, so that's when it all really changed, and I went all in, all in coaching. Um, because I would just, you know, I would be up a lot of late nights and yearning for more, you know, and just that burning desire uh, to learn more and do more. I said, okay, I finally found it. I finally found my next thing. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. You shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the views from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. And even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last-minute seats. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code WOJ, W-O-J, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code WOJ, W-O-J, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. There's all of a sudden last year when you looked at the hiring process, I thought there was a group in the league that had been ready, a group of African-American assistants. Some were ex-players, some were former role players, some had never played in the NBA. Uh, like a Wes Unseld was not a former NBA player. Jamal Mosley, not a former NBA player. Played professionally, but different kinds who had taken different kind of paths, uh, similar paths to how a lot of white coaches had gotten jobs, which to me was progress because it, you didn't have to be Chauncey Billups mm-hmm. as an African-American coach to get a head coaching job. You didn't have to be an NBA Finals MVP. There were 
uh, Mike Brown, I thought, was sort of the first, mm-hmm. one of the first black coaches who you know came up through the video room and you know played at San Diego. But but that was I always thought more progress for black coaches. It, gave, it opened up a broader swath of uh, teams were seeing them the way they saw white coaches and giving mm-hmm. the same opportunities. But you have this window here where six of the seven openings. Rick Carlisle was the not, mm-hmm. only non-African American coach in that last cycle. Something changed in the league, and you were a part of that this year. What was your sense of it, the timing of it, and, and, and the impact of it for this league? Well, I think it was a long time coming, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you look at what the NBA has been, the NFL, there's always been a lot of talk about why there aren't more African-American head coaches or GMs or with it being a you know majority of the the players in the league being African American, um, there's always been that type of talk, right? And obviously, you know, if we're being honest, uh, I think the whole world during the pandemic being able to see, you know, the, the public lynching, if you will, of George Floyd changed a lot for everybody, right? Um, and so now you know, year or two down the road, three years, you're hoping that it's sustainable. But the byproduct of that is people start to pay attention to equality and, and to things that, that, you know, that, that make, that are, that are really common sense that we, we haven't paid attention to a ton of times. And so, you know, fast forward, all of these job opp- opportunities come about and these dudes have been qualified for years, you know, to get these opportunities, been interviewing for years. Now, finally, boom, we get opportunities to get on. I'm a part of that, you know. Um, obviously, I hadn't been coaching as, as long as some of these really good candidates, but I'm a part of that, you know. Um, and I just think that the league and, and some of these organiza- organizations just did the right thing. Now, there are certainly a lot of qualified white assistant coaches um, as well that will get their opportunity as well at some point. But at the end of the day, you know, we got these opportunities to be the head of these these benches and these teams. But more importantly, I think everybody's all deserving and everybody's ready to go, you know, um, to take advantage of it. Having then success in these jobs is such a byproduct of situation. Mm-hmm. Really good coaches who never really get a chance to have staying power because like they just don't have good enough teams and you and I both know that yeah. this is a players league no matter yeah. coach can make a great impact but ultimately y- you win with players and typically first time head coach you know very often is getting a bad team is yeah. getting a lottery team is getting a rebuilding team when you sat down with your agent Andy Miller who had been your uh, playing agent for your whole career and now is in the on the coaching front office side now with clutch and you started to outline you think virtually every team with an opening uh, wanted to talk to you. I don't think you talked to everyone, but mm-hmm. you talked with several of them. There were a bunch of jobs open. When you were talking with him about what is it that I want, what makes sense for me, and I don't have to take one of these. I can go back to the Clippers another year and see what's open next year. What were those conversations initially like when you were trying to chart out where you might want to go and, and, and what you wanted in an organization? 
Yeah, and, and you're right. You know, a lot of times you get your first time opportunity. It's a team that you know it's going to be a challenge to to be successful, right? Or a lot of times that job wouldn't be open, right? And so some of the things that were for me, I, I just think there's two type of teams in the league: Wolves, teams that have a, a real star, a superstar, and teams that are looking for one. And so the perfect ideal situation for me would be to obviously be one of those teams that have one. And yeah, I did. I spoke to a lot of different teams um, throughout the process and the interview process. Um, I'm just so lucky and, and, and thankful. You know, I'm, it's, this is a dream job for me. And, and here's why I say that. Yeah, it's coaching in the NBA. It's only 30 of them, right? But what I mean is, as a guy who was a former player, um, played the game the way that I played the game, you know how I feel about point guards. To be able to come into the league with your first job with a Damian Lillard, who I think is the best point guard in the league, to be able to coach a guy like that my first time around, I mean, I, I, it's, I, I hit the Powerball, you know, I hit the Powerball to have opportunity like that. Um, so this is a dream situation for me um, to be in. You know, and it's not only about Dame. You, you look around, man, just the backcourt. He and CJ, a, a really, really dangerous backcourt. Um, but Nurk, like, it's just so much talent on this team. You know, I have an opportunity to get Norm back and Rocco being, you know, a guy that can kind of do it all. I, I'm, I'm just happy, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really lucky and, and grateful. You had a lot of history with Neil O'Shea. You were together with the Clippers. I want to get back to that after. Mm-hmm. When you interview with Neil and then Jody Allen in ownership, they tell you they wanted what? Like, we, we they made a coaching change. Terry Stotts had been here uh, for the entirety of, of Neil's run, eight-plus years, and, and had a lot of success in the playoffs. But when the change is made, there's something you want different. And, and they wanted what from you that it clicked, you heard it, and said, I can deliver that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it was more than anything uh, – this team has been a really good team, you know, for a long time, and you got to give Coach Stotts a lot of credit for that. I mean, one of the, a historical offense, but everybody knows, and I don't care what sport it is, I've never seen, with my two eyes, a team be a great team and a championship caliber team without being a pretty good defensive team and competing on the defensive side of the ball. And so, one, it was really it was going to be really important to them to have a team that's going to be competitive on that side and not just run up and down and just try to outscore people. To have that be a change, you know, um, and to focus on that. But I think the most important thing was to have somebody that had enough of a presence that they were going to hold everybody accountable. You know, that was going to be the big thing. What does that mean to you? The idea of holding people accountable. It's a kind of a cliche that gets thrown around. Mm-hmm. In practice, what does that mean for you as a head coach? To me, that just means, like, for instance, okay, I'll give you an example. I had a problem a lot of times playing for coaches that say we come in at halftime and we're getting beat. Ball penetration is killing us, okay, or transition defense killing us, whatever it is. Of coming in, knowing that, Chauncey, you're getting your butt kicked. You know, you, you, you got to be better. Knowing that it's me, but saying, hey, we got to do a better job 
of stopping the ball, this and that, this and that. The best coaches to me, and, and I've said it all the time, they put an address on it, right? Chauncey, what the hell are you doing, man? We talked about keeping the ball out of the middle, boom, boom. You're getting blown by every single time. Come on, Rip. You're taking bad shots. Swing the ball. So that's what – when I say being able to hold guys accountable, I think a lot of guys, um, a lot of coaches in this league are so scared to, like, ruffle the feathers of the star players, knowing that these guys have so much power, and they do. But to me, I don't see that as ruffling feathers. I see that as coaching. I see that as just being honest. Um, and if we say that we want to play one way uh, or we want to do it this way and then we get out there and everybody starts changing up and doing different things, then we have to be able to hold each other accountable. You know, I'm holding myself accountable as well. I got to hold the best players accountable just like I hold the two-way players accountable. It's, it's just no difference. And contrary to what most people believe, even the greatest players are willing to accept some coaching, but you got to have the courage to actually coach them. Was that one of the first conversations you have with Dame Lillard, with C.J. McCollum, that this is what you can expect of me, and I need you to be accepting of that? It was. It was one of the first conversations that I not only had with them two, with everybody, um, Nurk, everybody, um, was that – you know, I'm here to I'm here to win. I'm here to do the best that we can do. You know, um, who knows what that's going to be? But at the end of the day, like, I'm a coach. You though. you know, I'm going to coach you, and I'm gonna make some mistakes as a coach. This is my first time too. I'm gonna raise my hand when it's my turn. Um, I'm gonna always protect my guys. But we have to have a culture of of holding each other accountable and being able to stand on that. And sometimes that's going to be difficult to hear. I'm big on respect, so even when I do it, I'm never going to disrespect any of my guys. I'm not going to allow disrespect from them to me either. Like, that's just the type of relationship that we have to build and the culture that we have to build. And I think it's gone good so far, you know. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing a good job of, I think, holding these dudes accountable, and they're responding. So most people think that that's hard. Woes, I don't think that's hard. <laughs> I don't think that's hard because this, I guess it's just kind of always been who I, who I am anyway. How much recruiting or selling or whatever the right word is for it did you have to do with Dame this summer to get him to believe this was still the place for him, mm -hmm. that, that you were going to be impactful as a head coach, that there was a talent here to be better? How much of your offseason was spent on that as you and Dame talked? Yeah. Um, obviously, I spent a lot of time talking with Dame um, just about what I believed in, a lot of my core values as a coach, um, as a person, as a dude. Obviously, I've had a long relationship with Dame. goes far beyond me getting this job. And so a lot of our conversations, we talked about, like, you know, how we want to do things offensively, um, as a staff, defensively, the things that we need to change. I watched probably 50 of their games, you know, um, this offseason, you know, just trying to see where it all, you know, what they got to, what some of their tendencies were as a team. And a lot of it was spent, you know, um, just kind of sharing how I felt about the game, you know. Um, Dame, he has kind of an old soul, you know, um, even though this is the, the 2000 and 
21, like he, he has, I, I feel like he has like a, a 1990s spirit, an 80s spirit, you know, where he sees the game kind of like the generation that I played in see, sees the game. And so really easy conversations. Um, he believes a lot of the things that, that, that I believe. And so it was, it went pretty smooth. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know, you talk about the idea that, you know, that guys do want to be coached and that you can challenge guys. Is something, even coming back with the Clippers last year and being in it day to day, does it have to be done in any different of a way or a manner than even when you played, when you won a championship in Detroit, and then even after, that there's a, a generation of players that need – is there something more they need? Is there a why? Is there – or ultimately, can you do it the same way Larry Brown coached you? Or Yeah, yeah that, that's a great question, and the answer to that is no, you can't do it the same way that Larry would do it or, you know, some of those old school coaches like the Jerry Sloan's and, you know, these are some of the greatest coaches ever, you know, even with you seeing Pop and some of his interactions with Timmy and Tony. I don't think that you can do that anymore, Woj. I really don't. Um, so what makes it what's really important now is to get to know the actual dude first um, to see how you can push their buttons, right? Um, to have some conversations on what you expect from them. This is what I've seen. This is where we need to go to. To have some of them early conversations with them just as people. And then you start to get to know them. And now I know, okay, I can I can press on this dude a little harder than I can this guy. You know, I got to be a little bit, you know, I got to be a little bit different in my messaging with this young fellow who might be a little more sensitive than this vet here, I got to go. I got to go after him like this. And so back then, it was a blanket. You can just, you know, if you are who you are, you just go off on anybody. You can, <laughs> you can call them all kind of cuss words and this, and and fire them up and this. It's it's it's, it's different now. It's different now, and I'll, and it should be different, by the way. You know, um, but I think that's one of the things when we talk about, you know. Um, gifts that people have like that's 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 one of the things that that I've um I've always been pretty good at for a player of your stature an NBA finals MVP an all NBA player an all defensive player an NBA champion a high draft pick 
typically there was a different trajectory that that you as a player experienced lows that most players who we talk about as being Hall of Fame candidates did not experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. early in your career in Boston, Minnesota, where you, I think, were trying to fight from just becoming a journeyman. Yes. Versus being somebody that they could build around in Detroit. Do those experiences you think really help you? Because you're not just trying to I, to, to be able to relate with what it's like to be Dame or CJ, mm-hmm. but you, you mentioned before, you're two-way guys. The guys whose careers, who feel that every day, what you felt, that might give you a, a sense of that entire bench that maybe somebody, again, a Hall of Fame level player, just they didn't experience some of the lows you did. Yeah, yeah, I, I think Woes. That's that's a really good point. Um, I think the fact that I've I've pretty much been everybody on on that bench from six man to the tenth man, not playing in the rotation, but got a jersey on, having to get on that treadmill after the game to get my cardio because I didn't play, to being Batman, to being Robin. To being every, I've been every guy, um, and a lot of these guys don't know that. You know, um, these guys are really young, so some of these guys never even seen me play, obviously. Um, but they're so big on this internet, the, the, the social media and stuff, and the NBA 2K, so they they figure things out. But um, the fact that I've been all of those guys on that bench, I think, gives me great equity with all of the players so when I can bring them in to my office and sit down and talk with them I can talk with them not about what I heard but what I felt at the time going through the exact same thing and uh, you know connectability and relatability I think now in today's game is is just as critical as actually coaching and X's and O's and things like that your relationship with Neil O'Shea, the president here, it did not start great in 2011. <laughs> so we, we talked about this before we did podcast, but <laughs> so 2011, you were with the Knicks. They were going to amnesty you. And the way the amnesty worked was a team who had salary cap space could make a blind claim. You'd say, somebody could say, we're going to claim Chauncey for $2 million if somebody else bid 2.2 million they would get you your hope was that nobody would claim you you'd become a free agent and you were going to go down to miami Mm -hmm. and join the heat Mm -hmm. i was going to give me some more championships that's where i was going that was a plan and so there's (laughs) there started to be this sense that there were teams that would claim you there was concern it might be the clippers and so you and i did an interview that included some gems like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm reading the, there was a story, but I pulled up a series of the tweets and they included, for teams considering a claim on Chauncey Billups, he tells me, a leader can be as disruptive as he can be productive. This is about me now. More, people take my kindness and professionalism for weakness. They think I'll be okay with getting claimed. I won't be okay with this. And then... You went on to say, I am tired of being the glue guy. It did not work. You were claimed by the Clippers. Uh, you were not <laughs> thrilled with that. So tell me what happens. You get claimed by the Clippers. 
Your agent, Andy Miller, tried very hard to keep that from happening. Warned Neil, warned everybody. They claim you. You get on a plane at some point and go to L.A. You meet Neil O'Shea. What happens from there? Well, it was – man, I'll tell you what. So at the time when you could do amnesty, a team, whatever team it was, so the time at the time you get amnesty, a team has 48 hours, okay, to make the claim. I was – man, I was cruising. I went back home. I was in Denver. I was just kind of waiting the 48 hours out. And 15 minutes to go before the 48 hours is up, Andy calls me. Chance, I got some unfortunate news. The Clippers have claimed you off of amnesty. 15 minutes. I'm hot. I am hot because as you can see, I did. I, I did all I can do. I, I, I had. I, I threatened everybody through you. <laughs> well, the, the the thing with that, I remember saying to you, I said you got done on this sort of rant, I guess, and I was like, you were kind of like the pro. I, I think I said like, you were kind of like the pro wrestler, like the good guy who just hit like his former tag team partner over the head with a chair, and you're trying to figure out whether that blood's real or not. Like, is that ketchup or did he really? <laughs> Is is did Chauncey really go heel here? Oh, I thought it was a difficult man. sell for you, but but go ahead. So you tried it, it didn't work. Now they've claimed you. So I tried it, it didn't work. They claim me. Now I get a call from Neil and Vinny Del Negro, who's the coach. I'm sitting there, um, I'm in the living room with my wife. I get this call, and I was so mad, man. I'm telling you. When, when Neil said, hey, Chance, this is Neil O'Shea with the Los Angeles Clippers, I don't know if I heard one other thing he said for like three minutes and I was going off. Now, you know, this ain't even me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't even, I never, I never go, like, I, that ain't even really me. But, man, I go off and I'm mad and I'm, and, and now, mind you, this whole time, I know that CP's on his way to L.A. So at that point, I think they had trade talks had kind of died out, mm-hmm. but they were about to restart. But the Clippers sense was we're bringing you in to start and play because we don't think we're getting Chris Paul. That was the yeah. public. That was the stance, right? That was the stance. But as you know, Chris is like my little brother. So I'm talking to Chris. So when I when they asked, when they picked me up, Chris is calling me like, "Yo, we about to play together." So I'm like, <laughs> yo, man. So I'm, I mean, I'm going off on Neil. I'm going off on on Vinny, and uh, I hang up on him. They call me back. I'm like, what y'all want, man? So I talk to him again. So a couple days later, you know, I, I calm down. I fly to L.A. Boom. As soon as I get to L.A., I'm working out. Now, mind you, I'm talking to Chris the whole time because he's hyped. I'm working out. I'm getting word from the organization that they not going to get Chris, but I'm talking to Chris. He's like, I'm on my way. So anyway, boom, they do the Chris thing. So my whole thing that I'm still trying to understand is I'm saying, wait a minute. I'm an old man. I'm 34 years old. Yeah, I can still play, but y'all got this young squad. I'm trying to go ride it out, go play with some vets, you know, bring the ball up the court, get it to them dudes and, kick out threes for Miami, ride it on out. 
Y'all got Chris Paul, the best point guard in the league coming. Why would y'all get in my way when y'all got Chris on the way, right? That's what I'm trying to understand the whole time. It's 2021. I still don't have that answer, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though, and, and, I'm, and this is in all honesty, man. I'm happy it happened, man. I, I enjoyed myself so much, man, playing with Chris um, and playing with Blake and DeAndre, them young, them young studs, man. I, like, I, I learned a ton. I ended up obviously getting hurt that year and tearing my Achilles, but, man, I, I am so happy it happened. I, I, I really did. I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. And that's where your relationship with Neil started, yeah. and you've continued the relationship through the years, mm -hmm. and then when they have an opening here, your comfort level with knowing him, having history, and I think somebody who's always really believed in you as a leader, I thought he's always talked about that year when you when you had the Achilles injury mm -hmm. and the role you still played with their young players, you didn't just disappear, you still had a role. And that that really, that stayed with him. Yeah, and I think Neil uh, was able to, to able to see then that, you know, because there was some tough times with that team. You know, there's some, the, the Blake and DeAndre versus Chris Paul. And then, um, so I think he's seen then at that time that like, I'm willing to always say, what makes sense and what matters, and I'll say it to anybody. And uh, we came a long way with that team, um, meshing those young egos, and you know. Um, but yeah, Neil, Neil and I, man, we 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 started our relationship then, and always continued to you know to stay connected and things. And um, obviously, he did a fantastic job with the Clippers at that time um, of building that team. And you look at the tenure he's had here in Portland, um, continuing to stay relevant and go to the playoffs. And, I mean, this dude has is, is, is been very, very successful. Well, Chance, we are just about a week from the start of the regular season and your beginning as the new head coach here in Portland. Good to be out here with you. Uh, I know I'll see you this season. Appreciate you taking time out on a, on a rainy Sunday morning here in Portland. It's all good, man. What else would I do, man? You want to go out, go out and take a walk or something out in the rain, man? Yeah, just bring bring your umbrella. Get, no. get a big one for both of us. So. Yes, indeed. No, I appreciate you, Woz. Thank you, man. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.